0: Today on the show, I'm happy to have Matt Hayes. He's the Senior VP of AI at Cypherd. Cypherd helps you integrate intelligence into all your business processes. So we are just talking about when you're working on some mental health predictive models and the obstacles you had to overcome during that process.
1: Yeah, so my background is I worked in the NHS for about 11 years in the UK, so the healthcare service. But one of the things, so I worked in a few different roles, but towards the end, it was heading up a BI and data science service. And one of the things we tried to do as a sort of neighborhood or as an area, multiple organizations working together was create a model using data that could predict the likelihood of a patient going into mental health problems, particularly, it's a bit morbid, but particularly going to patients that are at risk of suicide or parasuicide. So it's really important. There's a lot of really deprived areas around where I live. There's a lot of um, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, and there's a lot of health inequalities in the area as well. So it's important for us to try and be able to try and capture these things before they turn into an actual event. So what we did in the NHS, we were quite unique in our area in that we built a really cool data warehouse, which integrated the information we had at the hospital trust with primary care data. So from general practitioners, family doctors, et cetera. And then with that, we could then create a fairly good model that would predict patient risk. However, it was still fairly generic it'd be, if you're a male between 45 and 55, if you're overweight or underweight, if you have had a lot of ED, emergency department attendances in the last year, things like that, so it was a good model, but it wasn't specific enough. So that was one of the interesting things is that by joining this data together, we could create something good, but it still wasn't good enough to say, okay, what's the patient's risk right now? What's the patient's risk within the last few months? We didn't have quite live enough information. And that's one of the areas that I think I'm trying to solve in my work at Cypher now, but is find ways to capture more structured information and information from patients as well, because it's great to have a model, but then we need to know right now what are the risks. And also as well, being able to actually then deploy those models and then use the outcomes of those models. So being from a BI background, we did a lot of dashboards. So we'd create some interesting data science models. We'd host them in a dashboard in our analytics layer. And then we'd be expecting clinicians or nurses or whoever to go from the systems they're using, their EPR, their EMR, go and look at a dashboard, find the patient, find the risk, and then go back to the EMR and then have a conversation with the patient, which just wasn't going to happen because the analytics and the predictive stuff was divorced from what they were doing. And that's again, something that we're trying to bridge the gap at Ciphered and pull that analytics and that predictive engine into the actual workflow itself. I would think there's a massive emotional component that
0: you would have to capture, which I can see being very difficult.
1: Yeah. In terms of, yeah, that's always going to be a, a bit complicated with patients information around mental health. And also we would see, for example, that women are more likely to suffer from mental health problems than men. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's just that men aren't reporting their mental health problems the same. We have to be really careful about the bias in the data. Likewise, patients that have had a lot of contact. You'll tend to find more information about them, predicting they will have events. Whereas patients that haven't had contact, not so much because the patients with active mental health problems are trying to seek help and they're being, being cared for in the systems. We have information on them. So again, not being able to actually capture all that information can be really difficult and particularly it's then we only capture the information when someone's in the healthcare system, when they're actually attending a doctor's appointment, when they're at the hospital, when something's happened. Again, that's something that we want to try and address is trying to capture some of that information just from the general public. Try and integrate with the internet of things or try and integrate with whether it's a monthly mental health questionnaire or other questionnaires that we can do. Another thing as well that's really important is there's a disconnect between all our services in the UK. So it's one NHS, but actually every single organization is separate. And this is the same for healthcare systems in other countries as well, is that they're all very siloed that means that then you go to your family doctor, to your GP, you'll talk about your mental health problems and then they'll say, okay, I'll refer you to this mental health organization. And then you go on a waiting list and then you fall into a black hole. And all that time, your mental health could be deteriorating. We're not capturing the information on that. And that's really frustrating for me because we could be doing so much preventative work there.
0: Yeah. It's hard because there's so many almost barriers to collecting that information, right? And it has to be really consistent or else it's just not going to serve its purpose.
1: Absolutely. And we'll find that some organizations have done this quite well. Other organizations, they don't have the kind of systems to be able to capture this information in the first place. And again, it's, this it isn't just a healthcare problem. It's across all industries. We will have some organizations where they're capturing information on the most state of the art systems that they have, or they have their own huge development team. And they've created all these bespoke systems, which from experience is still a problem because then you have to maintain all these systems that you built and then you leave and then someone else has to pick them up. But yeah, then you, on the other end of the spectrum, you have organizations who don't even have systems or they're working on pen and paper, or they're using spreadsheets to capture every bottle piece of information, whether it's complex clinical information, whether it's HR information, whether it's annual leave. We're using spreadsheets all over the world, across every single sector. And that's one of the areas that we need to, it's difficult from an analytics point of view, because spreadsheets are just horrible to work with, to try and pull them into a data warehouse, to do something with them. I hate it. Spreadsheet can be great, but for capturing information, awful. But also as well for users, it's not very secure. It's not a good experience for users, for people to use spreadsheets and capture information in them. So it's a real blocker and that's where we need systems that are really adaptive so that we can develop a new application really quickly. If you've got a new requirement, bang, let's create something really quickly. And not to shoehorn cipher into that. It, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to take yeah. off all those little bits.
0: Is the next step to have a Neuralink right there in your mind that's directly capturing emotional data?
1: That would be really interesting. In fact, I saw some research recently where they had patients in MRI machines and they were scanning their brain activity and they were getting the patients to look uh. at images. And then they would scan the brain activity and then they'd use a computer just looking at the brain activity. And then it would produce its own image of what it thinks the patient's looking at. So I presume that they pre-trained this by getting the patient's lots of images that the computer had already seen as well. But essentially there was a patient that was looking at a picture of a giraffe and then the computer looks at the person's brain and the, the brainwave patterns. And then it actually created his own picture of a giraffe. It was a different picture of a giraffe, but it was still a picture of a giraffe, which is just insane to me and likewise they can backwards engineer that so then you could actually start creating art which essentially like tickles the right parts of your brain so activates specific parts of your brain because they're starting to understand that link so yeah it could get to that sort of crazy level of, of putting like chips in people's brain and scanning their dreams as well you can not protect your brain when you're dreaming if someone could scan that activity turn that into the videos that would be terrifying i don't well, know, maybe, I know I about that maybe useful if it's <laughs> yeah
0: I want my Um, dreams to stay right there.
1: Yeah. In the future, maybe not, but it it could be a really predictive feature. It could be something that's really useful for predicting, I know, your risk of diabetes or yeah, how you're gonna perform next day in a football match or a soccer match or so it could be interesting. I'm slightly dubious about the collection of information, especially when it's being heavily promoted by big tech firms like Meta, Apple. Twitter, other people, they're collecting a lot of your information and what are they doing with that information? But actually, generally, if you want to see my dreams, if you want to, I don't know, have an ID chip, this great stuff around COVID vaccines, injecting chips into you. If Bill Gates wants to know where I am, I don't really care. If it might help predict my risk of a stroke, great. Yeah. It feels similarly. He can know where I am he does. He probably already knows. Anyway, uh, I
0: have this, so. I'm being tracked. That's it.
1: The amount of information that we like put onto Facebook or onto social media. And yeah. then we worry that someone might vaguely know our location. Yeah, I don't care.
0: Yeah, exactly. Pretty sure if you have enough of that back information, you can learn almost everything about me through what I do on a daily basis through my phone and posts and all that.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it gets, again, it's quite terrifying. It's like things that people don't really understand or don't really know. So like your device that you access the internet on. It will have certain fingerprints essentially about it. It's so the browser that you use, the IP address, the, I don't know, the version of Mac OS or windows that you're using and all that information is being captured by different websites and they will share that information to try and build a picture of what you're doing. So a lot of this information is already being captured anyway. And again, in the NHS, that was an interesting area was around looking at people's information because if you're capturing this information, you need to make sure you're looking after it as well. And we found that a lot of people. We thought that consent would be an issue. So, by the fact of sharing GP data with hospital data, putting those two data sources together, we thought that could potentially be a problem. We had a massive project around getting organisations to sign off on this. But actually, most people think their information's already been shared in the healthcare system anyway. They think their information's already was. So, why am I having to tell you my story again? I've already told that to the GP. So it's interesting that. Some of these obstacles that we think there aren't, but at the same time, we can't be complacent. We need to make sure that we're following this practices is there. That- yeah. So to debunk something that I know
0: I hear people say all the time, they're like, oh, I was uh, talking about this subject and all of a sudden ads are popping up on my
1: phone for it. So can you explain why that happens? I think it's observational bias. I don't know. I don't know the inner workings of these companies. It's very possible that my, my Alexa just popped up every now and again, starts talking to me. I have no idea why. But yeah, it's very possible that they're monitoring some things. What's more likely is that someone else in your household has been looking up, I don't know, houses in a certain area, and then all of a sudden you're getting adverts for houses in a certain area. Oh, it's so weird. We were just talking about that earlier. (laughs) Yeah. And other times it might just be that there are adverts there and someone else may have seen them, or it's like someone's running a campaign to run these adverts. So other people have seen them. And it just, then the next time you see that advert, you go, oh, wait, I was talking about that. I don't know, I'm on the fence slightly because we don't know necessarily what some people are doing and I know there were some meta experiments, Facebook experiments before there were meta a long time ago where they would run social experiments on users, they would do stuff like curate a certain set of users posts that day to make them far more positive in what they've seen and then they curate other people's posts to see them more negative and see how that affects the mood of the person viewing it. Or they would do stuff like, as you're writing your post, if you then decide to stop writing that post and discard it, they would actually capture that because they're interested in why didn't you post this? I'm fully aware that there may be some very unethical things going on, but I think it's probably observational bias when you see adverts that you've been talking about. It's just that you, who knows?
0: (laughs) What would you say you're most excited about in AI right now?
1: Most excited about language models, very interesting at the moment. So things like ChatGPT, BARD, let's say Lambda, Lama2, things like that. They're very interesting. It's an interesting area anyway. So using like massive neural networks and transformer based architectures to, That's very interesting to me and I can see a lot of applications. However, it's also, I'm writing a blog post at the moment that I've been writing for a few months I can never get around to it, but it's about how artificial intelligence is actually just regurgitated in intelligence. Although someone did tell me the other day that isn't all intelligence, just regurgitated intelligence, but like all of these language models, they're predicting something. They're predicting the next words. It's very fancy predictive text, but at the end of the day, it's just because someone else has written that in the past. So if you've got, if you've got information trained on misinformation, if you trained your models on a bunch of incorrect information, the outputs will be incorrect as well. So yeah, I think there's a lot of it, a lot of work around language models, which is quite interesting. I don't think they will be a general intelligence from language models directly, but they certainly help speed things up and help share knowledge a lot quicker, which is very interesting. So that's an interesting area. But like more, more close to home for me, um, the bit that's interesting to me is embedding AI and embedding machine learning techniques in that in front of your users, in front of people's daily work. So actually, if I'm entering information about an employee in the HR system, or if I'm enter- entering information about a patient, if I'm entering information about a customer and uh, some of the information in there is predictive. So it's predicting that a patient might have a stroke or it's predicting that a customer may churn or something like that. We actually then fire that predictive model straight back into the user's workflow to actually say, okay, this patient's at risk of stroke. What should we do about this? Or. Yeah, this customer looks like they're going to churn off them this instead. So it's more about how we use AI. I think that interests me at the moment, rather than specifically specific AI models. Well, yeah, certainly language models are interesting at the moment, I
0: think. Yeah. It's a great assistant, like on, on point, looking up, doing research, pushing back, finishing your sentences, right? Speeds (laughs) us up, which means we can focus on some more valuable things.
1: Yeah. And I've seen some great memes around it where on one side, someone's saying, oh, this is amazing. Look, I can take these three bullet points and I can turn it into a whole email. And on the other side of that, person's getting the email and going, well, that's a lot to read. Let me turn it into three bullet points. Yeah, We end up just using these really fancy models and all this computing power to just share bullet points at the end of the day. <laughs> to just share the bullet points. Why do we have to do that? Exactly. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's talk in simple terminology rather than trying to confuse people all the time. Yeah.
0: So Matt, if our listeners wanted to learn more about Cypherd or get in touch with
1: you, how can they do so? We've got the Cypherd website, C-Y-F-E-R-D. I don't know why we created such a confusing spelling for our company name, but yeah, cypherd.com. You can find all the information about us there. Also on all the social media platforms, I think even threads, even though it's only two weeks old. So yeah, you can come and find out more information about us there, book a meeting, talk about our platform, digital transformation platform and about our generative AI. Or they can contact me on LinkedIn. I'm likewise on all the social media platforms. I have a presence on Twitter, but I barely use it. It's all shutting down at the moment anyway, isn't it? Not paying the Google bills. I don't want to get sued. No, I don't think it's shutting down. They're, <laughs> they're great. You they love what Elon's doing.
0: Always got to say you love what Elon's doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got a
0: Tesla, so you
1: know, I can't hate what he's doing.
0: Thanks. <laughs> well, thanks, Matt, for coming on the show. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Failing to Success make sure to smash that subscribe button. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki with Cosmic Web Design and Development, and we'll see you next time.